hey everybody, we're here again with Contextualize, Jim and I, and today we get to finish what we started, I don't know when we started, but 2 Corinthians, so we're, yeah. this is our final Contextualize of 2 Corinthians, I think. It has been contextualized. <laughs> it has been contextualized. So, um, so yeah, we're in chapter 13, and um, there's, yeah. a, there's a thing going by. There, it's, it I don't comes. notice it all day long until, I'm sorry. <laughs> they just, they know when we get on here. Okay, sorry. Um, Carry on. So, anyways, we'll, we're just going to jump in today, and uh, I'll make one comment before we jump in, is, you know, some people have asked, what are you going to do next? And so, we're almost... Are you asking me? We're almost at next. Are you going to tell us so all how what, you answer that Well, I was going to ask you. Yeah, what, Actually, what are we doing next? Yeah, Jim? so we're getting very close to culminating our sermon series as well as this contextualized podcast. Yeah. So what we're going to do is, in keeping with past practice, we believe we'll jump into Second Samuel, uh, which is ultimately the back half of a single unit. Um, I was studying again this morning, the Septuagint is where the first and second books of the kingdom, or first and second Samuel, were originally, that was the first time I believe they were divided, and so... What we have been studying is really the first half mm-hmm. of a whole. Yeah. And so yeah. looking forward to that. So yeah. we'll look at really the early part of David's reign as the Lord's anointed. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do. So, so be excited. It should be awesome. That'd be fun. Yeah, it should be We, we podcast second letters, second books, and right. preach first ones. There, so. is a, there is a methodology to the madness, though. Like, yeah. so when we started with the podcast, we did Acts. Yeah. Part of that's because we were in First Corinthians, and we thought it'd be wise to study the movements of the early church while right. studying a letter right. to an early Coordinated church. Together. Yeah. And then we finished that, and we decided, wouldn't it be great to podcast Second Corinthians because yeah. there's another letter to the same church, and now we're going to do the same thing. Right. And so, do you know what we're going to do after we do Second Samuel? Sermon? Oh, podcast? Podcast. No. I think it's Second, Second John because <laughs> we're doing First John sermon series, so yeah, that'll be a short contextualize if we do it. It'll Second like Matthew, one eventually. Second Matthew, here, here it comes. So, anyways, enough of that. Um, let's jump in. So, this is the final chapter, uh, chapter thirteen, and uh, this is just Paul's concluding uh, stuff here. So, um, I'll just I'll I'll start us off and, and we'll go. So he, he says in verse one, "This is the third time I'm coming to you." So. Uh, I, We've mentioned this a couple of times, but I do think it's just helpful to see um, the the historical and just the historical reality behind these letters that Paul literally wrote this, and he's he's talking about visiting uh, the yeah. Corinthians, and so he's he's done that th- really throughout the entire letter. He's made reference to that. I think he was so in Corinth. Is it eighteen months? That sounds right. I'd have to look. Yeah, um, I'm going and back to Acts now, yeah. but. Timeline could be off, but the a depth, while. The, yeah. yeah, the depth of his relationships, the knowledge he has of individuals as yeah. well as situations, the fact that we have Chloe's people writing him letters, kind of independently potentially, or yeah. maybe they're leaders. But you have you have communication coming from individual church members or groups to Paul about what's going on in the church. Yeah. So he's just so deeply, deeply committed to this congregation. Yeah, he loves them. Yeah, and so now he wants to come a third time. Yeah, and his next phrase, every charge must be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. So um, there's, and he's going to get into the idea of power, which we'll touch on in a second. But just, I mean, right off the bat, as he says this, he then quotes or alludes to Old Testament law, right, about a, a charge being established by two or three witnesses. So it, there's a lot of dysfunction in Corinth, and we've seen that 
we saw that greatly in our first Corinthians series. Uh-huh. So just to think he's coming again, he is very aware there are those who sinned and there are others who make accusations. Right. And it has happened while he's absent. And he's essentially going to say, I'll come with the power of Jesus, which we'll talk about, as you said, in a moment. Uh-huh. But I think that tying his coming to the reality of sin that requires repentance, but also requires evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't just make an accusation. Yeah, so, I mean, we've yeah. got a large family, and we talk about it. Well, so do you now. You are in the large... You Am I, did I make it? I, uh, well, anyway... Um, <laughs> But there's lots yeah. of relational connections, right? Right. It is an important thing for us to convey that sin inherently breaks community. Yeah. Yeah. So any accusation of sin is also going to affect the community, not yeah. just affect the individual, but also the right. community that individual's in. So for him to go to the Old Testament law to make it a comment, an instruction with regards to how even accusations ought to be made, Yeah. now he's now going to talk about how I'll deal with the sinful offenders right. when I come. Right, but it's an important part of the, the yeah. community. Yeah, and I I do think that's a a helpful thing. It's probably one of the things that would be very helpful culturally for us is to consider that every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Where if you just think about the nature of social media type stuff, it doesn't matter if a charge is established. It's just kind of words that are thrown out there and and whatnot. So there's. I guess there's some biblical wisdom in this law that, that, that can be very helpful. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of an aside, but just a, a thought. It's good. Um, so, yeah. So then he gets into this, right? He, he's There's some who have sinned. He's, he's coming to deal with that. Um, and he says, uh, since you see, seek the proof that Christ is speaking to me, he's not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you. And he goes into this power-weak dynamic here. Uh, talks about Christ being weak in his crucifixion, but raised, living in the power of God. Well, and before he says, the, if you want proof that Christ is speaking to me, like, when I come, I'm not going to spare him. Yeah. Like, there is a, and, and, but he wants to make sure he qualifies himself. This is how Christ was, too. Right. So, just to point that out, he, he's made it clear, he's going to come and do some damage. Yeah. When you consider just the offenders who are unrepentant. Uh-huh. That are impacting the community. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, it, well, let me ask, any, so, in uh, chapter 12, right, that's where he talked about, well, chapter 11, chapter 12, talked about weakness and strength a lot there, and um, it's a well-known passage, we talked about it, of, right, boasting in our weaknesses. Now, here he's talking about coming to them in power. So, how, I guess, how do we, how do these things go together? Because he's obviously not saying, he's not contradicting himself here, but but he is talking about coming in power Whereas earlier he was talking about boasting and weakness. So, I don't know, thoughts for us well, on that? Well, I mean, he, he, I'm thinking Philippians 2, that Jesus came and when he was crucified, he emptied himself. He became nothing. Mm-hmm. So he became weak and he did not exert the power he had to stop the cross, mm-hmm. nor did he do it without any without humility. Yeah. Right. So that's Philippians 2. But now when he lives, he's going to live as the righteous, holy, resurrected, um, justified one. He's the just and the justifier. Yeah. So I do think that what Paul is also saying, that's how we long to be also. Yeah. How, how does it look in the local church to empty ourselves, to be humble, when we are called to be strong, to fight for the holiness and the glory of God, mm. yeah. and to fight for the purity of the gospel of God? Yeah. We can't fight for the holiness of God as weaklings, and we don't fight for the purity of the gospel of God in the church as weaklings. Yeah. Um, as we've yeah. maybe heard others say, what matters most is the peace and purity of the church. No, 
What matters most is that Christ, the head of the church, produces peace among those who repent and believe his gospel yeah. of his kingdom, which includes holiness, repentance, uh-huh. faith, sanctification, all that. Yeah. So we don't just agree to it to be peaceful. Right. That that makes one very well. It's not a real peace ultimately at that point. Correct. Right? Correct. Yeah. So I think Paul is saying, "I will fight for the things that we ought to be unified under. I will uh-huh. fight for the things that God commands of us: be holy as I am holy, repent when you see that you have missed the mark. I'll do it with a spirit of." humility and weakness mm-hmm. just like christ did but he lives yeah. with power yeah and the kingdom of jesus will prevail yeah. so there's a strength to it what well, makes me think back to first corinthians when in chapter five he talks about the the sexual immorality and i mean his uh, word there was to send them out of the church excommunication is is pictured there first that that's not a weak move no. that's a that's a strong powerful move and then in chapter six he talks about right some of them going before the courts of men rather than being able to settle the matters in-house um and so his implication is like we should be able to settle these things that's that's kind of in that same vein of powerful so here he's coming um, to deal with the sin that's there. Um, similar to what he's talking about. So this about strength and weakness, but it's strength in the sense of exerting influence and power over others is kind of the point you're making. It's just, and it's not just my strength to feel right. strong, but maybe an application that would help us is when we are called to go to another, to take the log out of our own eye and go to another whom we believe has sinned against us, or when we are being called to enter into a situation where somebody else has said, hey, I've gone to that person, they rejected me, I, would you help me because I think you're a witness of this as well. It takes so much humble strength. Mm-hmm. It is such an easier, puny thing to just go gossip about someone else. Yeah. That's yeah. that's weakness. Yeah. Or not to, not the proper kind of weakness. Yeah. But or to go just, to them and kind of a, I'm going to bury you. Yes. Or I'm just yelling at you or something Prideful like that kind of way. shaming yeah. and burying is not appropriate. Yeah. And sort of just being a weakling who avoids it at all costs and, and maybe does something worse, which would I think the scriptures often call out gossip and slander and some other things. It takes an incredible, this posture here. Yeah. It takes us being crucified to ourselves in weakness, but living by the power of God to go seek to execute yeah. the things required to make his people his people. Yeah. So it's a pretty pretty it's good bold description Paul's doing, but I think it fits here. Yep. So he, he transitions a little bit um, here in verse 5 to 10. I mean, he, he repeats the idea or the word test, um, especially 5 to 7, a lot. <laughs> Um, he says, examine yourselves, see if you were in the faith, test yourselves, right? And unless you indeed fail to meet the test. So what, <laughs> what is he talking about? All right. How so are we to think about if this? this is a contextualized podcast, let's look in the center of it and work outward. All right. So he brings up test yourself in five. Yep. Um, he brings up test yourself at the end of six. And I know these are numbers are just insertions, but in the middle, do you not realize this about yourselves? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is in you. Yeah. So if you're confronted with sin that somebody else sees or two more witnesses come to, how do you test yourself? Of What's the test to know that you can handle that in a biblical way? Repentance and faith in Jesus. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering if that's, and you could go the other side. Why would I go to somebody? Because of the centrality of Christ being in you. His glory is most important. Yeah. And we are his body. So therefore the test, I think, might be, is Christ in you? Yeah. 
you could go to other parts of this book to maybe verify that. Right. I mean, we don't know exactly what the test is, but Second Corinthians 7 about repenting. Mm-hmm. We don't repent unto death. Right. We repent as those who grieve unto right. life, unto living. Why? Because our repentance takes us to the crucified one. Therefore, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have yeah. Hope. So you could go to different parts of the book, and I wonder if that's if it is as singular as that. Yeah. And that and and he uh, in verse seven, sorry, verse six, he he begins to bring it back to right. He and those who you're writing with, right? Uh, hope you find that we have not failed the test, and um, and that to me seems to bring in some of the context from the entire book of kind of Paul as an apostle in opposition to these false apostles who, who have been exercising this influence. And so if he's been drawing this line or showing this distinction between he and them here, he's saying, I hope you don't think we failed the test. You know, obviously Paul's a believer there, but maybe part of the implication is just because you're part of the Corinthian church doesn't Doesn't necessarily mean that you're a, a believer. You know, you can be in this church, but still be false. And so test yourselves, examine is Christ in you? Yeah, I'm. Well, and you're examining. Are you in the faith? I mean, that, right. I mean, you actually have that in five as well. So, what's the, the test? What is a test of faith? I mean, First John, how do you te- when you test the spirits? What are you What are you looking for? Well, isn't it the spirit that confesses yeah. Christ is a spirit from God, and the spirit right. that confesses anything else isn't? So, if we test ourselves to see when the faith, if testing ourselves to discern if Christ is really in us, then how we handle sin among mm-hmm. us, sin exposed in our hearts, where we go for it, and then even in Paul's case, what do we pray for? Yeah. We pray for people to be restored in Christ. Yeah, that's what he, that's what he says there at the end of verse nine. Um, we're glad when we're weak and you become strong in Christ. This is what we pray. This restoration mm-hmm. is what we want. So, I think connection to Christ individually and experiencing Christ corporately is the faith that yeah. Paul is describing the people of Corinth. They're actually. I mean, you hate to say it like this, but a conflict-ridden situation where Christians all go to Jesus and are humbled to, as they experience a new strength is a pretty fantastic context mm-hmm. for the seeds of the gospel to be planted and to, for it to thrive. Yeah. As opposed to, we don't want any conflict. We don't right. want any, no, right. no, where sin is called right. out, where repentance right. is given, yeah. the test is passed, uh-huh. Uh-huh. if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... I mean, as you describe it that way, it almost sounds like James in uh, like faith without works is dead. Like the, the faith shows itself in our lives. Um, it, it evidences itself. Amen. So um, well, he finishes this off before his, his greetings. Verse 10, I write this while I'm away. And basically so that when I'm with you, I can use the authority God has given me to build you up, not to exercise severe discipline. Against you. Paul's desire is to, to build them up, to help them to be um, positive sounds like not quite the right word. But wouldn't this change everything if we knew, and we could trust, I mean, trust is a huge deal, but if we knew those who were very concerned about another, how do you, how do you send the undergirding message that I want you to be built up in Jesus? I don't want you to be removed, torn down, dismissed, just corrected, mm-hmm. proven wrong. Right. This is an amazing thing that he has all this zeal, and he would say, with all the authority, the severe authority I could use, the severe use of that authority. Yeah. I want you to be built up. Yeah. And then he says in 11, 
I want you to rejoice. Mm-hmm. I aim for restoration and comfort. Right. Agree. Live in peace. God will be with you. Wow. Yeah, and it's such a picture of uh, of unity, not just personal maturity, but but really corporate maturity. Well, I think there of our then. yeah, I think of corporate maturity. There you go. Local church is the best. Uh-huh. But I think of like general assembly. Uh-huh. When we go to big denomination meetings, you know people are on on opposite sides of an issue. You listen for people's tone. How do they talk? What do they say? But the question is, how, how do you know? Like, it's kind of the it factor or something. Like, how, it's a vibe. It's a sense. It's it's it can be severe words mm-hmm. of warning, but what does it look like when severe words of warning are couched in love and the building up of the person they're trying to warn? Yeah, very different than the way the world would teach us to make our case to win an argument. Yeah. So I think he's just yeah. modeling it and describing it. Right. And the best place, of course, for it to be modeled is in the local church and relationships. Yeah. One with another. I have noticed something in the top and tail of this whole book. Okay. By the way. What you got? So, what's top and tail first? A top and tail. It's just a phraseology we use in our preaching workshops about one of the ways to kind of discern a goal of an author is to look at the very first part of a letter and the last part. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a helpful tool in every single genre, but it can often be very helpful in epistles and letters. Yep. So I just was looking at the very end here, verse uh, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another. Mm-hmm. And knowing that we studied the beginning of the book, that word comfort is very important. Verse 3 of chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, yeah. who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So, I mean, you have the word comfort like five times right. right there. So Paul starts the letter after his typical greeting with an emphatic call to experience the comfort of the gospel and extend the comfort of Christ to others. And then we realize he's also talking about people who are pitted against each other. Yeah. And then he ends the book with this call to be restored and to be to lean into comforting one another. Yeah. So it's just an observation. That's, that's great. That's a good connection. Um. I've got a last thought for me, and we'll see what what you want to add, but uh, I'm going to ask you a question too. So verse 14, um, a couple things we can note there. One, right, you can see all three persons of the Trinity mentioned. Um, So Paul's given this this final Trinitarian word, and it's uh, if you just read how that's worded, um, right, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's like a pronouncement from Paul, the apostle. So not just from kind of Joe Christian, but like an official ambassador and spokesman. Speaking over them, yeah. Right, he's speaking to them. And so this is is a benediction at the end of this letter. And so just thinking very, you know, very much practically for us, every Sunday we end our Lord's Day worship with a benediction, which could be this verse, could be another verse. And so um, just since we were reading that, any, so I grew up in a tradition where we didn't do that, and and probably several in our church that that would be the case. But I guess like why do we do that? Like why do we finish every Lord's Day worship with a benediction like what we're reading here in verse fourteen? Perfect timing in my read through the Bible plan I'm doing at the very end of Numbers chapter six is the benediction I yeah. often give. I read that this morning. Um, where the Lord tells Moses what Aaron is supposed to say over the people and um, the ironic benediction 
um, so so shall they put my name on the people of Israel, and I will bless mm-hmm. them. So Aaron has been given a charge. When you speak to them, put my name, speak over them my name, and they'll know my blessing. So the church does that historically in our worship. Um, I grew up in a tradition that did it. One thing that I think is, I, I could probably serve to use more of the benedictions that are in Scripture, um, very much comfortable as well as have been blessed by the words that were commanded to Aaron the priest to speak over God's people. Yeah. Because um, it's about the Lord's face shining on us. It's, but here we have a Trinitarian benediction. And the one thing I was going to say, AJ, is I think of the posture that we ask for. Mm-hmm. We don't actually tell people to do that. <laughs> but right. it wasn't until maybe 10, 15 years ago that I was in a church tradition where people put their hand up to receive the benediction. Yeah. And the person that's giving the benediction is, is symbolically putting their hands out to say, like, this is, I'm pronouncing something yeah. from God for you. Yeah. Why put the hands out? Why do people do that? And I, and I think just to even maybe speaking to that here, this thought of I am desperately dependent on an identity and on the face of the Lord to shine upon me graciously. Mm-hmm. So the putting out of the hands with the palms right. up is a posture of just receiving. Receiving, dependence. I, I just yeah. asked that you would, I, and, and I know when I first was in a tradition that did it, it was very uncomfortable because I'm not used to that. Yeah, you know? right. Um, but this thought of I will end this time of communing with God's people. Yeah having received his word, having received the table, having sung songs of praise. And as we go out together, we go out yoked together in a mm-hmm. posture of dependence on the God of blessing and mercy and grace. Yeah. So I think that's how Paul is ending this letter. That's great. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll add, I don't know if it's one or two things, but um, I think, I want to say you've said this at times in our Lord's Day worship, but if you, if you look at, at or participate in our Lord's Day worship, the first things that are said are words from the Lord in the call to worship. And the final things that are said are words from the Lord in the benediction. Um, and so just the the supremacy of the Lord and his word for us. And then, too, just thinking about um, this being the final thing in our, our worship. Right, we, we end worship and, and we're going out into the week. We're going out into the world. Like we're, we're, we've gathered and then we're scattering um, is kind of what's going on there. But as we go... Like the, the benediction is the Lord's blessing upon us for that. And so like, what do I most need as I go out into the world to, to serve and do this, that, and the other? I need the Lord's blessing. Mm-hmm. I need his word. And so that's, I've, I've, I've grown very much over the recent years to appreciate yeah. that more and more. So formality that's meant to convey intimacy with authority. Yeah. From God. Yep. Any last thoughts? No, I'm, not, not about the whole book. I think it's worth saying what I said the first time. This was a book in my first church, so 2003 or four somewhere in there, that was just so instrumental in experiencing the, the convicted words of Paul about, I think, his philosophy of ministry. Strength and weakness. Be strong, but be humble. Mm-hmm. There are people who are going to be super apostles that are going to press. What is it like to lean into... Christ and him crucified. I don't that goes back into first Corinthians. But the Corinthian letters I think are just super appropriate yeah. for us in our culture. And yeah. the tone of the two letters are very different. Yeah. But this yeah. this one is is indeed as comforting as I think the introduction and conclusion have. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, until next time. AJ will be Tanner next time, but this isn't a video podcast, so have fun at the beach, man. Happy vacation. It might come through in the audio. <laughs>